folks have been so kind and, and allowed us to be a part. And uh, so thank you for being here tonight. Good to have some friends of ours, the Swovelins, uh, that have come. And uh, we're just delighted to be here. Well, thank you for being here. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the privilege of opening thy word. Oh, what a gift your word is to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, what a joy to know that we can depend upon you to help us to understand so that we can apply it to our lives. So, Father, I pray that as we approach thy word this evening, that we'll do so reverently, yes, but optimistically and enthusiastically looking for what you have for us tonight. We come as a hungry people, hungry for thy word, hungry for thy will, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians, if you'll turn there with me, please. Second Corinthians comes right after first and before third. So uh, Second Corinthians is where we will find our text of the evening. And uh, as you'll remember, I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the fact that first Corinthians... Oh, my, my. Now, the church at Corinth had, had really had some great blessings. But my, my, had they slipped into carnality in one way or another. They'd excuse things that have gone on in the church. They were become calloused in some ways. And just a variety of different ways that you already know about. And so the Apostle Paul wrote a scathing letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and spanked them spiritually, hoping upon hope that uh, they would listen and follow God's formula, God's plan of getting right individually and corporately as a ministry. And so obviously that's what happens. So we come to 1st, 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, and it gets, gives good evidence that, that there was, oh, repentance and uh, the acts of restoration for especially one who had been involved in sin. And so you come to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, and and uh, Dr. Ledbetter, Pastor Ledbetter had talked to us several weeks ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about our opportunity to have an influence on others. And it talks about the God of all mercies, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, our affliction, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. And what a great text that is. So here he is, I mean, boom, right off the bat in chapter 1. He, yes, he addressed the fact that, that he was sorrowful and, and it was a difficult letter to write in that first letter, but oh, he's rejoicing now. And he is starting off telling him, this is a new day, this is a new opportunity. So when we come to chapter 2, it's already in that direction of, well, let's pick up where we are and move forward. Now, tonight, you and I come from different venues of life and different pathways, so to speak, and there may be some who are going through challenging times. There may be others who are going through times of relative ease. There's others who are approaching challenging times. But in each of those settings, with some, if not all of us, even in the best of times, sometimes it seems as though I'm not real certain the direction I need to go from here. Things are easy and things are being blessed, and I, but it just seems kind of an unsettling here. And, or maybe it's times of difficulty and it seems like you're in a, in a fog and you can't really see up or down. You can't really uh, ascertain God's direction. And, or maybe you're just coming out of it in the, in the joys of being out from underneath the pressure and, and the absence of difficulties almost seem kind of 
unreal because what else is going to happen? And so here you have the Apostle Paul, who loved these folks. And the Holy Spirit gave him just the message that they needed. Perhaps having gotten right with the Lord and already set some things in place that so we're not going to do that again. We don't want another letter like that again. We don't want to be out of the will of God. And yet having seen some things already transpiring, maybe they're still a little bit cautious about moving forward with great, not anxiety, but great ambition of being what God wanted them to be, doing what God wanted them to do and accomplishing everything and God's agenda for that ministry and for their individual lives. And with that in mind, here's how the Lord has helped me in studying for this message, and perhaps it'll be a blessing to you and a help to you. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether things are just, oh, just abundantly blessed, and maybe things are just, sometimes you just need to say, all right, no matter what the circumstances of life, whether they be grand and glorious or very difficult or somewhere in between, there needs to be a steady direction, a steady pace in a direction that whether the circumstances are cataclysmic or whether they're just absolutely wonderful, the steady pace, the steady direction is focused in one place. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, if you will with me, please. And we'll not take time to give all the context. I tried to give that already. So let's just look at it as we come to the text, beginning with verse number 14. So with your permission, I'll read verses 14 through 17. That's the end of the chapter. Verses 14 through 17 is one paragraph of thought, if we could put it that way. All right, are you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 beginning with verse number 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. May I pause for a moment? You're going to notice that the word savor or sweet savor appears uh, in this text several times. Matter of fact, it only appears, the word savor only appears five times in the New Testament, four of which are in this chapter and in this text. So there's only one other place that it appears. So it's, it's of significance that we see it here tonight. So here we go. Verse number 14, now thanks be unto God, we've already done that, which causeth us, uh, uh, always causeth us to triumph in Christ, maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Tonight, with your permission and my privilege, I'd like us to look at three different things from this text that if I will do it, and I invite you to join me in the task, but if we will do it, no matter what the circumstances of life, it will send us to true north, if we could put it that way, so to speak. As an aviator might say, you know, I, there's a cloud bank over here and there's over there. And you know what? I know where I'm headed. I'm just going to put it on the compass at true north, at zero degrees or whatever it is. And I'm just going to go straight ahead 
and I trust that's what we'll do. So let's look at it. And the first point we're going to see from verse 14 is the, the superlatives of God's person. The superlatives of God's person. You're going to see it twice in this little verse, the superlatives of God's person. We'll take time to read each of these again. So let's look at verse number 14. Now he says, now thanks be unto God. Which, what's the next word? I call that a superlative, all right? I like those kinds of words, all right? Now, thanks be unto God, which, or who, always causeth us to triumph in Christ. But that's not the only thing. He, what else does he do? And he maketh manifest, or he reveals, the savor, there's the word, of his knowledge by us. Here's another superlative in, what's the next word? Oh, that was pretty good for a Wednesday night. Let's, let's pretend it's Sunday, though, okay? I'll feel better. And I look a lot like Brother Ledbetter. I know I do, you know, I massive fellow that I am. All right, so let's try it again, all right? So he says, let's give the superlatives again. Now, thanks be unto God, which, oh, that's more gooder, all right, which always causeth us to what? Triumph in Christ. That's what he does. And maketh manifest, he reveals the savor of his knowledge in, uh, by us in every place. The word savor is an interesting word. It's a word was used in other things, in the worship of Bacchus and in other things like that. And the word savor all by itself little has, has this idea in mind uh, as an essence to emit. In other words, it has the essence. It, it emits something to where you kind of have an idea. This is what this is about, all right? So let's look at it. Now, thanks be unto God. The first one is, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Now, when the Word of God says about God... And about God's people, this church written to the saved in Corinth, when it says that God always causeth us, in the passive if I could put it that way, God always causeth us to triumph. Now the word triumph has the idea in mind that there's an obstacle or there's a conflict. A conquest has to be pursued or received and because it's received and you engage it that there is a triumph there is some, it's not just something that well I'm going to go from this podium down and I'm going to do that it's not that that there is an obstruction there's some kind well it's like Paul said in Romans 7:21 Paul said I see then that there is a law not a law of gravity like a scientific law but he says there's a spiritual law I see then that there's a law that when I would do good Evil is present with me. The word would there is, it has the idea in mind to consider a matter and arrive at a conclusion. So Paul said in Romans 7 that when I'm determined to do God's will, there's always, he says it's a law, that when I determine to do God's will, there's going to be an opposing voice, an opposing whatever it is. Well, whenever there's a triumph to be had, there's an obstacle, a, an opposition, there's something but he says about the child of God. Now, we may not see the triumphal entry, so to speak, until we're at the judgment seat of Christ. But he says this about God. One of the superlatives in this little chapter and in this little portion of this chapter is one of the superlatives is that God always is triumphant. 
no matter what the concourse of life, no matter what the setting in life, when God moves in a setting, and especially contextually here, for the child of God who wants the will of God and is pursuing the ways of God according to the word of God, it says God always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Let me ask you a question, all right? Deep theological, grammatical, historical question here. When God says he's always going to do something, how, how many times is he going to do it? That's very good, all right? Some of you are Johnny on the spot there, all right? And they had the right answer. When God pursues something, how often is he successful in it? Always. Always. We don't always see that at first hand, first blush. But always, cause us to triumph in Christ. One of the superlatives. The second one, and we'll not spend a lot of time here, but he says, not only thanks be unto God, which always causes it, but number two is he maketh manifest the savor. There's that word, to emit an essence. Who maketh manifest, God makes manifest. He reveals the essence of his knowledge in every place. You can go to the deepest part of whatever jungle. You can go wherever you want to. And according to Romans chapter 1 by creation, or you can go to John 1, 9, speaking of none other than the Son of God, that he lighteth every man. He, he enlightens them, every man that cometh into the world. No exceptions there. Every man means every. So when you and I look at this and it says, he maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. It's really important for us to kind of just get down the supremacy or the, the, uh, the superlatives of God's person in this because the rest of the text is going to come back and it's going to rely on that a lot. Now, some of you guys are, you're going to hit the weights and you can, boy, you can do it and that's great. Or you can pick up a bale of hay and with me, I end up about six feet shorter when I do that. But, but, I mean, you work out and you are ready to go and you can do it. Or ladies in like fashion in some other task of life. But when you and I stop and think for just a moment, as a child of God, what is it that God has for me to do? No matter what the setting, whether it's grand and glorious or whether it's tragic and cataclysmic and everything else we could throw in or somewhere in between, where would true north be, so to speak, of I may not know how to do this, or I may be unprepared for that, but one thing I do know, I know that God always causeth me to triumph, not in my own mental acumen or in my physical resources or whatever else, but if I'm pursuing God's will as best I know it, and when I don't know it, I depend greatly upon Romans 8, 26, 27, and 28, where it says that the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't even understand how he's doing it. And it says in that same text that he's making intercession according to the will of God, and he can do that because he is God, and he lives within our hearts. It says, And he which knoweth the hearts of man knoweth the mind of the Spirit, for the Spirit itself maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, what? Work together. It's the word that we get the word synergy from. 
You take this and you take that, and individually they can't do it by themselves, like H2O. You take hydrogen, you take 100 parts of hydrogen, it never makes water. You take 100 parts of oxygen by itself, never makes water. But you take these two things, put them together, and together they can do what separately they can't do. It's called synergy. It's the same word that you get here. All things work together. They synergize, if I can put it that way, together for good. To them that love God, there's the prerequisites, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So we have to start with the superlatives of God. Number one is that he always causes us to triumph in Christ. Number two, he maketh manifest the savor, the essence, the omissions, if we could put it that way, of his knowledge by us in every place. So we've seen the superlatives of his person, but very quickly, verse 15 is really the heartbeat of what I believe God would have us to look at tonight. Because if you're here or listening by way of live stream, and you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, the devil will do his best, if I could put it that way, your old flesh and mine too, will do its best to get us to minimize how significant verse number 15 is. But I would ask of us tonight, as I required of my heart, and employ yours as well, that we look very carefully at verse number 15. For therein, I believe, lies the great blessing of taking the superlatives of who God is and what he's doing and, and that he is triumphant every single time. And he can make manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. How does that work? Verse 15. Notice what it says, and we're going to see the significance of God's people and purposes. Verse 15. Now notice the wording here, for we, now when he says we, he's speaking of himself, maybe his missionary team, but no doubt he's writing to these he loves. Where he had to chasten them before, now he's loving on them, and now he's giving them direction of how to, don't stay where you are, I, I know you're repentant, and, and praise the Lord for that, but, but move on and and you go to chapter 3 and chapter 4 and you go all the rest of the, the book of 2 Corinthians and it's just all oh, growing and building in Christ and being used of God some way every day. So let's see how he says to lay out the pathway. Notice if you will. For we are unto God a sweet savor. Okay, now we, we, we probably be wise in pausing there for a moment because he added a word. The earlier verse had the word savor, the savor, the, the emitting, if you will, of his knowledge. But notice what he says. He says, for we, the, child, the children of God, the gentlemen and the ladies here and, and others around that will be studying his word in this text, it's in reference of us. You may have to expand your abilities of creative thought to really be able to put your arms and your heart around this. And it may almost seem like a, a practice of arrogance to do so. But it is not arrogant. It is rather the diligent teaching of the Apostle Paul to these he loved who had been wounded by his pen, no doubt, who had been Oh, just engulfed in whatever it was that caused them to give in to all the things that 1 Corinthians was about. And now Paul is saying, wait a minute, that was then, this is now. 
And he is saying that God always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And he says in verse 15, For we are unto God a sweet savor. First time sweet savor is mentioned in the word of God is in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. It's immediately following the flood. The waters receding and God opening the door of the ark and Noah and his family exit and Noah builds an ark. And it says about that sacrifice that God smelled a sweet Savor. And he made a covenant following that. Savor has the idea to emit, to give an essence, if I could put it that way. And if you and I will understand something here tonight, that I believe God would have each of us to know that we are the, chi- we are the children of God. We're not a hybrid. We're not part this and part that. We are God's children. Amen or no? If we're saved, we're in the family of God. And now are ye the sons of God, and it shall not, doth not yet appear. We know the text. But notice what he says, for we are, notice what he says, for we are unto God a sweet savor, not just because Randy Bray's five foot six, <laughs> Perfect height, by the way. Any of you over that, you're just rebellious. You just went in five foot seven, six foot eleven, whatever you are, all right. Not because I'm five foot six or you're this or that or the other. But notice the rest of the phrase. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Oh wow. For those of you who have the background to do so, I challenge you, just go back to the, to the Greek and look at it, and, and I think you'll find it to be contextually and grammatically accurate. That I believe it's a correct interpretation of this text to understand that when God thinks of us, when God sees Randy Bray with all my idiosyncrasies and my this and that and the other because I'm his child blood bought by the son of God quickened made alive by the Holy Spirit of God and all because encompassed within the love of God it says here for we Corinthian Christians for we Christians at Crossroads Baptist Church for we are unto God not just a savor but we are unto God a sweet savor. Not because of any sacrifice I would have made, but notice the next two words, a little prepositional phrase. But we are, uh, for we are unto God a sweet savor of whom? Say it with me, please. Of Christ. In other words, I believe contextually and grammatically, this is saying this, that when God thinks of us, as we could put it in, in our present ability to understand, and my ability anyway. When God thinks of me, when he thinks of you, he wants to think of his son. And for that to be a sweet savor. 
a sweet savor. Because that child of God, I trust with myself, with you, no matter what the circumstances of life, whether it's end of life or the beginning of life or anywhere in between and whatever they are, that no matter where I am, no matter what's going on, I have determined in my heart, you've determined in your heart, we have determined in our hearts as part of Crossroads Baptist Church, but specifically because I'm a child of God, that I want to be in God's will. I don't want to accidentally get out of God's will, but if I'm accidentally out of God's will, it's only because of a conscientiousness of wanting to be in God's will, and I know the Holy Spirit's going to redirect and all things are going to work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So that when... God looks at Randy Bray or your name. If I could put it this way, for me to think of it in my little thought process, is there's no, there's no air, the old expression, there's no, no air between us. In other words, that, that my walk with the Lord, your walk with the Lord is such in true north, so to speak. Whether I'm going this way or that way, whether I'm called to go to the mission field or to stay at home, no matter what I do, whether I'm parenting or single, no matter what the, the things in life are, that God wants my walk to be so faithful to Him, my love for Him to be without any, any contradiction, no feigning as they did back in the, in the days. I, I had the, the joy of being in a, in a Roman um, uh, not a Colosseum, but it was by the, by the Mediterranean or wherever it was. I don't remember if it was in Israel or in, in, in Italy. I don't remember now. But they, we were at a great stone theater overlooking the, the Mediterranean, I believe it was. And as they would have it, we would call it today a reader's theater. And, uh, and, and they, would, they would have perhaps a, a line of six, seven, eight people, and they would have placards behind them. And when it came, somebody, maybe a gentleman that's standing there, and it may be a woman's part, but he would step forward. And he would hold up the placard. I think maybe somebody said this not long ago. He would hold up the placard, and it would have a woman's face. Or if it was a lady, a man's face, or, or one of the same gender. And they would pretend, they would feign that they were that individual. When that part was finished, they would step back, put that behind them. They may take out another one, a different character. And somebody else would speak. When it came another characters, they would come up, and they would feign that they were someone they were not. When you and I understand what he is saying here, for we, the children of God, are unto God a sweet savor like that sacrifice that, that went up and, and it says, and the Lord, Jehovah, smelled a sweet savor. But when you and I are walking in the light of the word and we trust and obey, it's not in our own merit that we're having that sweet savor, so to speak, but it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is as we're walking after the light and, and so forth of being what God wants us to be. Now let's notice very quickly the significance of for God's people and purposes. For we unto God a sweet savor of Christ. But notice the purposes here. It's not just that he notices us and he thinks about Christ, which is significant. But it goes beyond that. It says, in them that are saved. It's a present participle there, having the idea that these are who are, are already saved and they're continuing being saved. But he doesn't stop there. 
He says, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. They're continuing to be saved and in them that are, and in them that uh, perish. I'm not looking at it here. In them that uh, perish, yes. In them that perish. So here's what he's saying very quickly. Is that Corinthian church, you're back on the right track. Stay on the right track. Be what God wants you to be. Understanding that God is always, he always causes us. He is the one who makes it possible. He always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. But then he says, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. I'm so glad that my Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You and I could discuss that for quite a while to come, and we would be in such agreement and saying to God be the glory. If there were any exceptions, I would probably be that exception. Because I know, Randy Bray, you would say of yourself, there is no way. There is just no logical, rational way that God could ever some, love someone like me. Now, I can understand about Brother Sawyer's. Or I can understand about over here or over there. I can understand, but, but about me, my, my. But he says here that that sweet savor, when it's not just a savor and emitting, it's not just that, but when it is a sweet savor, that comes up and God smells it, so to speak, as he did in Genesis. It's when that love of God and our love for God so permeates our ambitions, our attitudes, our actions, that it has an influence on those who are saved. So that no matter what's going on in life, in my life, and in your life, whether it's good, whether it's not good, whether we understand it, whether we don't understand it, whether it is. But the quality of our walk with God doesn't need to be, okay, I'm being Well, now I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do are perfect but God is saying Corinthian church this is how you stay right this is how you go towards north no matter what's going on no matter whether people love you or they don't whether they agree or disagree whether they understand or don't understand whether your body is rejecting and re rebelling against everything else that's going on in your body no matter what's going on you just say wait a minute when God thinks of me and I'm putting that in a human perspective here okay I know God can do everything but when God thinks of me, I want him to think of his son. And when I'm among those who are around, whether they know me or don't know me or whether they like me or don't like me, whatever's going on, the quality of my walk with the Lord, not so much with them, that's important, but vastly more important, of paramount importance, is when, my, when I'm around whomever it is, whenever it is, and however it is, if my walk with the Lord is so north-driven, That what he emits brings glory to God. So that he can make manifest the knowledge of his will in every place. And there's no contradiction of my influence 
and God's ambitions in that other person's life. You're going to see it in the very next section, and it'll be towards the last of what we're going to talk about tonight. So we've already seen the superlatives of God's person, the significance of God's people and purposes. His people, we, we're the ones. His purposes in them that are saved and in them that perish. And now we're going to look at the sufficiency of God's plan. It is a permanent calling. Look at, if you will, verse 16. Well, let's look at 16 again. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that are saved, there's one category. Number two, and them that perish. Talking about going to, to hell and ultimately the lake of fire. Verse 16 is a commentary on that. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. You remember the word savor? The word savor has the idea to emit. Literally, how it was used in... In ancient Greece, in the Greek language, is oftentimes that word was used when a person had died and after a certain brief amount of time, there was an emitting. There was maybe an odor. Maybe there was some things that just were obvious. This person is no longer with us. Okay. Notice what he is saying here. The sufficiency of God's plan, in my opinion, from this text, it is to be a permanent calling. Verse 16a says, To the one we are the savor of death unto death. Now forgive me for using the, the original just a little bit. The word unto there is literally a word that oftentimes, many, many, many times in the Greek language, it's, it's translated into. The way they teach it in a class is they put a circle and if you're in this circle and you want to get out that's one word the x if you're not in the circle but you want, want to be in the circle in other words you're going into something it's the word ice that's the word that's here here's what i believe this is teaching and it's so profoundly important for a little fellow named randy bray to understand because God always, there's no exceptions, there's no, oh no, 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 God can't do anything there. No, always means always. You've given testimony of that. And he says about the fact of that we are unto God. A sweet savor, not of my own. We are a sweet, we, Randy Bray, blood bought by the by the blood of the Lamb of God, quickened by the Holy Spirit. We are a blood-bought child, we are blood-bought children of God. And when we are, and He thinks of us corporately or, or individually, we are to be a sweet savor of God, of, of Christ, a, a, a sweet savor unto God of Christ. Notice what he says, 16a, to the one we are the savor of death. Literally, into death. I believe what he is teaching is that the quality of my walk with the Lord, my testimony for him, needs to have such fidelity to the word of God, needs to be so ingrained with, with the principles of the word of God, as Dr. Or Brother Ledbetter has preached, and certainly last Sunday Dr. Uh, Dr. Comfort preached about the significance of the Word of God in my life. It's not just a, uh, something that we do out of, out of just obligation. 
But as I study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, because I'm able to rightly divide the word of truth as circumstances come. And I say, Lord, you said, if any of you lack wisdom in James 1, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. So that when I ask for wisdom and he provides it by the word of God, notice what it says. To the one we are the savor of death into death. If I'm around those who are unsaved, they're already dead in their trespasses and sins. And I can't just come to a place where I say, well, you know, John or Henry or Shortsky or Petunia or whatever the name is, well, there is no hope for them. I've done everything I can do. And we allow the callousness or the carelessness or we allow whatever it is that they are upon us to so harden our ambition for God to use us in their lives, whether we're next door to them or a country away from them. But when God brings us to their minds, the quality of Randy Bray's life should be such that I may be 3,000 miles away, but the Holy Spirit can whisper that right into their ears and their hearts. Not about Randy Bray, but as God's representative in that place, that the Holy Spirit can use. And when can I quit? When can I say, Lord, I've done it. I've, I've done it all, Lord. I've witnessed every time. I gave them out 14 and a half gospel tracts. I have called. I've testified to them. How long? From death to presently. Dear friend, may God help this little fellow, Randy Bray, to understand that there is no expiration time upon when I can call it quits of my walk with the Lord because somebody else deserves otherwise. Why, that they did as a child, or I did, they did to me as a child, or this they did to me in my job, or they did to this, and they, they did this to me, and I'll never forgive them. They deserve it, every bit of it. But they still have God's heart to deal with. And the Bible says, following the judgment seat of Christ, and, and I believe the great white throne judge, and then shall every man, um, I can't think of it, it just left me. I have praise. Because no one's going to, praise of God, because no one's going to be able to shake a finger at God and say, you didn't love me, you didn't tell me, you didn't. For God so loved the world. My former brother-in-law was from Cambodia. Little boy, grew up in the jungles. At the end of the Vietnam War, he was still a junior high, junior high boy, maybe that age, somewhere in there. And he told me later he married my stepsister. His name's Wat Yin. Wat told me, he said, Randy, he said, all my life I wanted to know God, but I didn't know how, know how to find him. We were in the jungles back there, and he said, we'd heard about the man with the big boat. Talking about Noah. We heard about the guy that they threw him down in a bunch of lions, and they, we don't know why they didn't eat him, but they didn't. He knew some of the stories, but he couldn't put them together. At the end of the Vietnam War, they put the boat people together, and before bringing him to America, a missionary from quite a ways away came, and began in Genesis to, to preach to him the love of God. 
And he later got saved after he got to America. My point is that God is not willing that any should perish. But God wants us to be his ambassadors for Christ. God wants us to be so enveloped in the word of God and the word is so ingrained in our lives. The true north for us is not whether it's popular, whether it's this or that or the other. But wait a minute, whether it's glorious or whether it's difficult what I'm going through, I better be in the word of God. Because he always causeth us. And his ambition is to make manifest the knowledge of his, of his son. And, and it's all of these things. And we finish up with this. He says, for, for to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life into life. Same thing. For those who are in the family of God, and that's where we come in as brothers and sisters in Christ. Until we're with the Lord Jesus, or until they're with the Lord Jesus, we have the glorious opportunity, but according to this text, in my opinion, we have a glorious responsibility. No matter what they think of us, no matter anything else, I mean, it's nice when they say, brother, love you, and all of that, but, but the truth is, God may want to use you in someone's life that never has spoken two words to you, but they've watched you and watched you and watched you. They said, you know what? If God can do something in her life, if God can do something in his life, maybe God can do something in my life. And God will see to it that a pathway is provided for them. Well, we must bring it to a conclusion. The sufficiency of God's plan is a permanent calling, but it's also a personal calling. Look at 16, the last part, if you will. It says, and who is sufficient for these things? Oh my, that is a tall order to be used of God some way every day and to look forward to growing in the Lord and through the word of God to where no matter what the circumstances of life, you're ready for God to use you. And you fully understand and there's a humility about that that it's a gift from the Lord and, and God's opening doors and closing doors. And it may not make any sense to you, but God who superintends everything that as he's doing so, all things are going to work together for good. It may not look like it's your good, but for good of testimony or good of whatever it is, positioning. But notice the last phrase there. And who is sufficient for these things? It can become daunting, but then he tells us the secret. Verse number 17 takes us to that personal calling, and it says this. Notice what he says. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Now, that's in the negative. So he's going to give us three things there very quickly that we understand, okay, I want, to, I want to get on board with this. I want, and just thinking like Bray thinks, when God thinks of me, I want him to think of his son. And same, maybe it's kind of like this. When people, our folks pulled out of Afghanistan and there were people left behind, you and I know that there's been others, maybe not even in the government, that have gone back over who were skilled in rescue. And this could be said of people taken from a fire, taken from the waters, flooding. But let's put it like this. Let's say that there was somebody that was behind the lines there in Afghanistan and they were maybe a, an interpreter for us or whatever and, and they had been targeted and we're going to get that guy, we're going to get that lady and we're going to take him out. And so the people back here who knew about that, family members maybe already in America are saying, wait a minute, oh, I hope somebody. And then, and then someone comes in and they rescue that individual and they pull them out of harm's way 
And then the parent or the friend for years to come would say, when I look at my son, I think of you. If it hadn't been for, my, for you, my son or my daughter would have died. When you and I stop and think, friend, that you and I have the opportunity of being God's representative, that when God thinks of us, we want him to think of his son. And there's no altercation, there's no compromise, there's no contradiction, but rather it is a true heart trusting God with everything in life and eternity so that as I rise in the morning and I'm in the word of God, it is so saturating my attitudes and my ambitions and my, my, my direction of life that I, I make everything correspond to the revealed will of God as best I know it is documented in the word of God. So if you'll look at it as we bring it to a conclusion, you'll notice these things. For we not, are not as many which corrupt the word of God. In other words, there needs to be a consistency with the word of God. But he doesn't stop there. He gives three more. He says, but as of sincerity, that's authenticity. Not feigning it. Not trying to, okay, I, I'd like to be a Sunday school teacher. I'd like to be a this or that or the other. And feigning that we're walking with the Lord and we're faithful and this and that. and the, No, we do all those other things because we just want to walk with the Lord and be a part of what God's doing. And, and, and so he says, have sincerity. But not only that, notice what he says. As of God. That gives us our authority. He doesn't stop there. He says, in the sight of God speak we. In Christ, and there's the accountability. You and I have the grand opportunity tonight to reflect on what God's trying to do in your life and in mine. I really do not know very many of you very well. Several of you I know much better than I do most. But I'm so grateful for the privilege of coming here as is my wife as well. We are just thrilled to, to be able to worship and, and hopefully serve with you folks here. But the point I'm trying to make is this, is that when we look at that last part, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Yes, when God sees us, we want him to think of his son and be that sweet savior unto God. But it's not only unto God that's my responsibility is to be Godward in, in my wanting to walk with him, but it's before the unsaved. And it's before the saved so that through my influence, whether it's direct or indirect, whether I'm conscious of it or not, or, or it's happening and I don't even know it. But the quality of my walk with the Lord needs to be according to the word of God, not in contradiction, as he says here, we don't corrupt the word of God. And how do we do that? If you'll skip over one chapter, and I'll finish here in just a little bit, and I promise, because it's so important, 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. There may be some here that have been bound by an attitude, Maybe some listening have been bound by the circumstances of life, whether in a hospital bed or depression, whatever it is. Notice what he says in verse 17. He says this in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So just understand what we read Earlier in verse number 14, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And triumph has the idea of obstacle or opposition or 
whatever it is. Well, now we come to the very, it's about 10 sentences later, if I remember correctly. He says, now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So I need to understand, wait a minute, it doesn't matter how bound I feel that I am. It doesn't matter whether I heard on the radio today that some of the folks who've been held by the, by the enemy over there were kept in darkness the whole time, and when they came out into the light, they, they had to shield their eyes. They couldn't even see because of the sunlight. It doesn't matter whether the oppressions or the contradictions or whatever it is in life, we need to understand where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is, what's the word? There is liberty. But he doesn't stop there. We'll finish with this. But we all, Paul was from southern Tarsus, but we all, with open face, that means up close, beholding as in a glass, it has the idea of a mirrored image, the glory of the Lord. So here's what he's saying. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. It doesn't matter whether I'm bound by mental challenges, physical challenges, the absence of understanding or knowledge, whatever is binding me, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and He always causeth us to triumph in Christ. So I have that foundational setting of, wait a minute, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Whether you therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. And he is saying here, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face up close, beholding in a mirrored image the glory of the Lord. How do we do that in the Word of God? Just what Dr. Comfort preached about. But we all, with open face, up close, daily, saying, Lord, I'm hungry today, and, and I want to feed from your word, and I don't want to, I don't want to go, I, Lord, I just, I, I, need to, I need something from you today. Yesterday was wonderful. Tomorrow's going to be great, I know, but I'm hungry today, Lord. But we all, with open face, beholding us in a glass, a mirrored image, the image of the Son of God found right in here, the glory of the Lord, notice what he says, are changed from glory to glory. From a place where I am spiritually, I'm changed. It wasn't I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and said, you know, I'm, oh boy, I'm going to. No. It's from glory to glory are changed. But what is of significance here is I'm not the change agent. I'm just in the book and studying the word of God up close and desirous to be like Christ. So that when God thinks of me, I want, him to, I want him to think of his son. And I don't want him to see any, any difference whatsoever. He says, I'm changed from glory to glory. And then from glory to glory. And then from glory to glory. Even as by the indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord. Simple message tonight. God's laid upon my heart for my walk with the Lord. And perhaps God will use this to excite your hearts as well. But God's not finished with us yet. And we have the privilege of growing. But we also have the responsibility of being what God wants us to be in our daily lives so that he can use us for those who are unsaved until the time, yes, they're spiritually dead. And there's still hope though. God can still work in their hearts. How long do we do it? Into their eternal days. 
Bible says about the lake of fire that it is called the second death. It's the end. And the same thing is true with our influence that God wants us to have upon brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of how they think of us, hopefully positively, but, but even if not, that God can still use his word as manifest through our testimony in their lives, even when things seem impossible. God can still use it. The very first part of verse 14 talks about, if I can turn there real quickly and we'll finish. 2 Corinthians 2. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth. I trust in this simple message tonight that it's, it's reminded you, as I've been reminded as well, that God's, he, he wants to work in us and through us. As Paul said to the church at Philippi, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I trust he will. Father, I thank you for the privilege. Lord, I, I'm handicapped in knowing if, any of this made sense. But how you ministered to my heart, Lord, and reminding me of how much you love me, yes, but how much you want to see your son in my life, my attitudes, my ambitions, my heart, my priorities, especially in times when life doesn't make sense. Lord, may I just walk according to your word because I've bathed in it. And may that be the passion of my life and these you love and we're growing in our love as well. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.